Dave, it's you and me again. Back at it. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I'm no longer under lock and key. I'm free to explore in the world, which is fantastic. So yeah, all things are looking good. Looking forward to our, to our, to our chat today. Yeah, me too. Um, we, we've got our, our guest is at a telco called Shaw. Uh, you and I have known Charlotte for a few years, and she keeps uh, keeps that programming exciting at, at Shaw. So I really want to find out how she does that. I'm really, really looking forward to it. I think we, we had probably the, the longest day trip ever when we went to visit them a couple of years ago with four flights in a day, um, <laughs> which is good. So, yeah, really excited to, to, to see how they're, you know, operating in a, in, a, in, a, in a place that people like to complain about. Yes. Yeah, I think, with its alcohol provider. Yeah, I'm interested in doing that. I, I don't know if she's going to talk about that. Or she dares to, but you remember that post I did earlier on in the year about the uh, the telcos in the UK. I found some great stats from the um, from the UK uh, regulator, and you know the average MPS is twelve in that uh, market. I'm wondering how they do it. You know, whether if that's good or if that's bad. So maybe she's got some views on that. You know, how does she keep keep working with staff? Because as you say, she's be uh, Charlotte's a real professional. She's been in this industry. She was with. Um, Virgin and Orange, and now she's with Shaw. And, and she's also got this wider remit. So how does she keep people engaged? I'm interested to find out. She bonused on it. How does she do the stuff? So plenty of stuff I think our customers to take away. So without further ado, let's go to our guest. Welcome to the Account Experience Podcast. My name's Adam Durrell. I'm the CEO of Customer Gauge. I'm here today with Dave Barber, who's the Cornwall number one premier customer experience person. Bit of a mouthful, but he made me say that. And I'm joined today by our guest, Charlotte Dunsterville, who's the Chief Customer Officer of Shaw Telecom Group, based out in Guernsey. Now, sure is, I think it's a play on words, by the way, but it's spelled sure, S-U-R-E. And uh, I think it's like uh, sure is an offshore, right? Sure, but you can come back to that in a second. But sure is uh, for telecom communication services in the Channel Islands, the Isle of Man, and the various other British overseas little bits of land. And it's part of the Batelco group. And uh, Charlotte's been a customer of Customer Gauge for some time. We've known each other, I think, for three or four years. Her experience really goes back for many years in the business with Virgin and uh, other companies like that. I'm really excited to speak to her today. Charlotte, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Adam. Great, great to be here. Yeah, that, we're really excited to talk to you. So, so what we, you know, we've gone through this whole COVID thing, and just before we came on, we were talking a little bit about how things have transformed in your business. So, how's it been? How have you been able to cope being on an island and working in the telco business right now? Well, I think, like everybody, it's been a challenge, hasn't it? And um, actually, I have to say, our kind of three main islands, Guernsey, Jersey, Isle of Man, so offshore islands of, uh, of, of British territories, we've actually got off quite lightly because in Guernsey, we've just had two periods of lockdown, both quite short. So three months last year and two months this year. And apart from that, we've been lucky enough to be pretty much living restriction free. Um, so, so that's been great. And, you know, we, we do feel lucky. Um, obviously, the periods of lockdown were, were pretty difficult, particularly last year. Like for everybody, it was very unexpected. 
it kind of uh, arrived very quickly. We were making contingency plans to close down the shops and get people working from home. Uh, and I think we, we made a plan where I was thinking, oh, this will happen in a week or two weeks. And the next day, actually, we had to close all of our shops. So that, that was quite a challenge. And, um, you know, so we had retail people working from home, still selling phones and services that worked well. Uh, what we found, though, is because customers couldn't go into the shops, uh, our contact centre suddenly took kind of a double load um, and we found it very difficult to cope. So alongside all the queries that would have gone into the shops, uh, because people were working from home, we also had uh, broadband upgrade requests um, and all kinds of, you know, broadband queries that people found actually that their broadband wasn't working a, a, as uh, as well as they wanted. So uh, our customer facing staff did an absolutely fabulous job. Uh, but even so, I'd say kind of, you know, customers gave us uh, benefit of the doubt to start with. But as it went on and it was obviously, uh, you know, difficult throughout a longer period, we did see that our uh, our MPS took a bit of a dive. Um, and, and the other thing we did off the back of COVID really was um, we took the opportunity not to reopen some shops and we decided to consolidate uh, to one flagship store in each of the three islands. Uh, and again, that's had a n not unexpected effect, but um, our, our retail um, kind of satisfaction is absolutely flying high because we've got single shops and we have really focused on sales in those shops rather than dealing with the, all of the suite of customer queries around handset problems, paying bills, etc. We made a conscious decision that we would give uh, customers who were buying something a much better experience. And that, again, has shifted that kind of non-sales transactional workload into the contact centre. And again, you know, we, we did our best to get ready for that. But, uh, you know, like everybody last year, it, it's been difficult. So we, we've seen a bit of uh, polarisation, really, where MPS in the shops is really flying sky high. Customers are very happy. They're not waiting. They can make an appointment. You know, they go in straight away and kind of come out with what they need. On the other hand, people trying to get through to the contact centre are waiting a bit longer and, and just finding it more frustrating. So, that you know, that, that's been interesting. The whole kind of when, when you shift channels, whether you mean, you know, whether that's kind of a conscious decision or you're almost your hand is forced a bit, then what, what the impact of that is and what it does to customer satisfaction. Yeah. Can I can I take a couple of steps back, Charlotte, and just, just dive into exactly... Um, you know what channels that you, you do have as sure and, and you know what the kind of the kind of things that, that you are selling are we just talking your, your mobile phones and your broadband is, is is there more to it than that and, and how does your yeah, uh, work with all those channels absolutely so we're, we're a full suite telco although obviously on a small scale so we're actually present in seven territories uh, including kind of Falkland Islands Ascension St Helena and, and Diego Garcia which is a tiny speck in in the Indian Ocean. Um, so just to focus on kind of Guernsey, Jersey, Isle of Man, we're a full suite telco. We sell all, um, all kind of consumer solutions. So mobile, broadband, fixed line, uh, mobile broadband as well. And then on the corporate side, um, we sell a lot of cloud um, uh, and we obviously sell kind of customer equipment as well. Um, and things like Mindcast, which is a um, which is kind of a you know, well, it, it's a kind of storage system and, and uh, data protection system. So, yeah, we, you know, all kinds of products, really. And we've got a very wide portfolio um, and, and a reasonably small market. So we've positioned really as an island specialist telco. Yeah. 
um, and, and used, used to working on islands and that kind of scale. And, and those kind of challenges of sometimes being quite isolated. Yeah. And, and, and so then how, how do you track all those many different moving parts? Are you engaging with customers in terms of surveying and things like that on, on, on every single one of those transactions? Or are you just doing it more in a relational kind of way? We do both. So we've got quite a comprehensive programme, which um, I set up now back in uh, in 2015. Um, so it started actually with the telco deciding that MPS was the new thing. I think they'd had some consultants yeah. in. Well, I know they had. Uh, and that was something that they wanted to add into financial KPIs. And um, I kind of put my hand up uh, and volunteered to be the pilot uh, for the programme at Shaw. Which, uh, which was really interesting. So we went out really setting up uh, a program which had a transactional element and also a relational element. Um, and that's the same today, but we've added to it quite considerably. Uh, so I think we came on board with you guys in about 2017, something like that. So all of our transactional MPS is through customer gauge and you know, pretty happy with that platform and all of the real-time stuff that we see. And then we do a relational survey as well, uh, which is four times a year. And that gives us more of the top down view of, you know, what our brand is like in the market. So for that, we'll survey um, ourselves, obviously, and, and our competitors as well. And we look not really at scores so much as uh, what our position is in the market and how the market has shifted and what the trends are. And that relational survey is really quite detailed. So we'll obviously look at kind of customer satisfaction and general NPS. We also yeah. delve down into network satisfaction, website, retail, uh, you know, and, and just not just channels, but also areas where we know that, um, that customer satisfaction is kind of made or broken, if you like, uh, by certain elements. So, you know, I always say that the first touch point of a, a, of a telco really is network because it's the one thing that customers use every day. You, you use your mobile every day or, or your laptop or, you know, or, or your data, whereas actually you probably aren't calling the customer services every day, or at least I, I hope you're not. Uh, and you're certainly not going into the shop every day. Although actually we, we did uh, in Guernsey have a, a lady um, who, who lived on her own and she did used to call every day just to get kind of an account balance. And I think it was really just to have a chat with, with one of our friendly operators. So so you do get that side of it as well. Yeah. That's a lovely story. I have to say, <laughs> I use T-Mobile in, uh, in the Netherlands here. Always really good service in the stores. Back end of the service, not so good. And in fact, let's lean into that because the, I, I did a post earlier on this year about the um, net promoter scores of UK uh, telco providers. And it was one of uh, my most read posts from this year. I'm just putting it on the screen now. Um, you know, the average NPS for UK telcos is 12. Charlotte, what's going on in this business? What have you got to say about it? <laughs> well, I think that's really disappointing, Adam, because being in the industry, I see how much effort goes in from us and, and other telcos into really making that customer experience really good. And one thing I would say is that the, the telco experience of buying and supporting is actually quite complex. You've got different kind of networks. You've got all different kind of customers. You've got different devices. You're not just box shifting, um, you know, a, a commodity. It's actually quite complex. And particularly when you come to corporate as well, where, you know, you might be putting together solutions which include, you know, international connections and, you know, on top of mobiles, on top of cloud solutions. 
So I think the complexity doesn't help us in terms of customer satisfaction. Um, but I, I certainly think it's a shame. Um, and uh, one thing I would say is, you know, it, it really varies um, amongst the different things that we measure. So generally, our retail NPS is pretty sky high. As you can imagine, as a kind of consumer mobile customer, you, you, you go into a shop, you want the new iPhone 12, you know, you walk out with a nice shiny box, you're really happy, you know, 10 out of 10 or, or 9 out of 10, perhaps. Um, and, and then if you try and call the call centre and you have a bit of a wait or you don't like the answer or, or you find that you can't easily do what you want to on a website or, or on an app, that then is obviously taking the shine off that experience. But I, I honestly think that, you know, that the 12 to 25 is unfair, given the amount of effort that we put into it. Uh, but but that's where we are. Uh, no, it's really good to hear. I, I think you're right. I think the human interaction piece is the bit where you can really score highly. But it, yeah, any any excuse to to mark people down certainly in my it's, yeah. If the wife uh, goes down for ten minutes, it's always like, oh, dad, can you come and fix this? You know, so. Well, it is, it's like a utility now, Adam, isn't it? The broadband people expect it to be on all of the time, really fast. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we have a very similar experience in that I think, you know, our people are what get the fantastic MPS from uh, from customers, because once you're through to somebody, you know, we, we get great feedback about our staff. We really value that. And, you know, and we make sure that that's passed on to the staff. I think where maybe where we and other telcos fall down is we don't always make it easy for customers. And, you know, you're constantly looking at processes and other broken links and what can we do to make it better? Uh, and particularly trying to streamline the online journey as well. So I think, you know, generally um, our culture kind of drives really good customer service from people. And the challenge is uh, how do you replicate that online where you, you haven't necessarily got a sympathetic or, or an empathetic ear. So customers are very reliant on how you've designed that online experience. I'm going to go a bit deeper on that. You've been running your program for a while and, and your NPS is you know fairly stable over the years. How can, do you know how that impacts your um, customer churn or any of the economics that come out of that, Charlotte? Yeah, I mean, I, I do, Adam. I mean, our, our customer churn is um, is pretty low, to be honest. We're not in, you know, the UK where when I worked at Orange, I think the, um, the, the churn level for mobile was running at something like 25%. And what you found was you had a lot of value seekers that are just flipping, flipping all the time to get the best deal. So it's less about loyalty and service and it's much more about value. Um, so, yeah, our, our, our churn is, is quite low. We do see um, a correlation really um, between uh, when our NPS dips down a bit uh, and what, what happens then. Um, but also on, on the flip side of that, you do you can see certainly, you know, you, you get a lot of customer grumbles. But then if you measure, they, if you follow up those customers individually, they haven't necessarily left. Uh, and, and that can be quite a, an interesting piece of work to do that, you know, you can have a, a hundred customers who say they're definitely 100% going to leave you because they're so fed up with the service. If you look at them again in six months or 12 months, you will certainly not see that hundred of those customers have left. Um, so, so sometimes I think it, it can be, you know, a bit of a threat to try and get better service. But um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, high churn isn't something that we deal with in the same way as a UK operator would do. Um, but, you know, we're, we're obviously very alert to it in terms of uh, how we run our retention programs and, and what we do to try and get customers to stay with us. 
How, how, how do you keep the, the the kind of motivation in the program going? I mean, like as you say, everyone likes to have a grumble about their their telco provider uh, for for a lot of the time, probably reasons out maybe out of your control. When you have you know your operatives, you know, calling people back of the more 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 negative feedback that you might get here and there, how do you keep everyone motivated to to, to want to keep picking up that phone and saying, "Hey, let's solve your problem." Um. Yeah, do you mean from a customer perspective or, or staff perspective? Well, from, from, from a staff perspective, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, the customer experience is really ingrained in, in the fabric of this business, I have to say, which, which is fantastic. Um, so, you, you know, I, I sit on the executive committee. Um, I have entirely got the support of every single person on that committee. And we talk about customer experience all the time. So we talk about it as much as we talk about financial KPIs. It's always we will talk about them hand in hand. So, you know, this is the revenue. This is the profit. This is where we are with our customer experience metrics and particularly our NPS and our position against competitors. So I think um, yeah, it's really ingrained. We actually are also bonused on customer experience, which I know is, uh, you know, it, it, it can be quite a challenge. And, uh, you know, I've read lots of things which say, oh, you absolutely can't bonus people on customer experience. Yeah. And actually, we, we don't bonus people on transactional because it's so volatile. I think that would absolutely be the wrong thing to do. But we do these quarterly relational surveys and we're then bonused on our position in the market. So I think that's much fairer because we've got lots of different levers we can pull. And because of that focus on, on the bonus, it also means that we're laser sharp on looking at the results which have come back from our relational surveys, particularly looking at the areas where we haven't done so well um, and seeing where we can improve. And we are very operational in then looking at that insight, pulling together an action plan and getting the whole business behind it. So you could ask anyone in the business, you know, what's our NPS position against our competitors? But they would pretty much know, well, we're first or we're second. Um, and they would also pretty much know what we're doing about it because every two months I'm reporting what the scores are and I'm telling them the plan and actually probably at least a quarter or to a third of the business are actively involved in that plan um, and the rest of them indirectly because they'd be supporting the people who are pulling that together. So I think, you know, that, that's one of the benefits of having had the program in place for so long. It's so ingrained. Um, it's really in our culture. And we really are good at closed loop action planning for, for continuous improvement. Yeah, really interesting. So in, in regards to that, so obviously you'll you, you do a lot of reporting up to the, to the high levels of the organization. Is that then fed down throughout the organization by, by, by the top level people? How is that then communicated throughout the company from there? Um, yes, yeah, so we have staff briefings every two months. So everybody, and that's on Teams now, which is another kind of byproduct of COVID, really. We used to have gatherings in each of the islands um, and it went on to Teams and actually that's worked really well. Um, so we we present uh, and, it, and it's, um, you know, the agenda changes, but you will always have, you know, latest projects, latest customer experience initiatives and scores and then financials. Um, so it's communicated like that. Um, uh, and then I, I suppose day to day, another thing I'm really proud of about the transactional program is that we're very good at the closed loop. So feedback will come in um, and it gets reviewed every day. And quite often what will happen is it's not just uh, a customer service agent calling the customer back. 
but say uh, a customer has got a complaint about price or a product or something to do with the bill, we actually get the manager from that department to give the customer a callback. Um, and, you know, that, that's a kind of surprise and delight for customers because they get to speak to the person who's actually made the decision that has, you know, probably caused that problem. Uh, and at the same time, I think it's really good for the managers internally because they're not all customer facing, uh, but actually they're all much more used now to speaking to customers and, and taking that feedback on board. And I would say, you know, we, we do incorporate that into the way that we develop products and services. Um, so a couple of years ago, I, I kind of moved from being purely customer experience and took on a, a more commercial role. So I am responsible for revenue operations and customer operations. And that's led to some interesting decisions where you might say, you know, with my customer experience hat on, you know, I would go one way. But with my commercial revenue hat on, I might go the other way. So I think the challenge for me now is to try and find that win win um, action that what, what do you do that actually keeps your customer happy uh, but also is contributing to your revenue and that's been a new challenge for me over the last few years really and I think it can be win-win um, and I'll give you an example so we, we put our prices up now by RPI um, on an annual basis and a price rise is never going to be popular with customers yeah. But, you know, previously we've just come in and product have just gone, right, this is the price rise. And, you know, the contact centre had to kind of like it or lump it a bit. We take a very different approach nowadays. So we'll start the planning for it six months before. We pretty much know, you know, who's going to be impacted, what the price increase is going to be. And we have a think through segmentation of, you know, different customers, how we communicate differently, um, how we can sweeten the pill a bit. So we think about what we communicate in terms of, you know, increased speed or special offers. And that goes along with, you know, a, a discussion about what we've invested locally. Um, so, for example, we, we've just uh, invested three million, which is a lot for our business in, in a new subsea cable. So we would try and kind of put the conversation about investment alongside the price rises and just put it a bit into context rather than, you know, previously, we just would have whacked out a price increase with no explanation. We very much now are looking at, from a customer point of view, you know, how, how can we explain and justify why the price rises are coming in and look at it side by side with what we're investing in for the community? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Really interesting to hear. I love, I love the story about closing the loop, Charlotte. Um, I think it's actually quite unusual in B2C to get that happening. So well done for that. Um, and, you know, thinking about it, what are some of the learnings that you've had from the telco world that you could, you think, could be applied to some other industries? You know, CX has been, is fairly well established in telco and it's maybe sort of catching up in some of the old, older industries. What are some of the things that, that you think could be learned? From I mean, I think... Um you know, we, we started off with a fairly basic program and we've built on it since then, again, with the help of you guys and your, your great kind of customer success management and, uh, you know, some of the conversations that we've had. Now, and I'm not just saying that, Adam, because, you know, we t we've talked about various things that have made us think and, you know, you're, you're very revenue focused as well, which can be, you know, unusual in a customer experience environment, let's say. Um, so I suppose what I would say for other industries is, you know, don't try and do too much too soon. I think there's a lot of discussion about is NPS still fit for purpose? I would say, well, absolutely it is. Yes, because as long as you are asking the question of what the score is, 
and then you're following it up with why, I think even if you just ask those two questions, there's so much you can learn from what your customers tell you about why they've given you that score. And that's really your starting point. If you know why your promoters are giving you a 10 and it is probably your friendly customer service, you know, your nice brand or whatever it is. And you will also know why your detractors are scoring you low. And that is because they've had to wait on the phone or because they think you're too expensive or, or whatever it is. So I think that there's a lot to be said for starting slowly, getting those basics in place <clears throat> and then starting to layer on things like, you know, customer effort score. So that's more a kind of analysis of your processes, isn't it? And where that's working for customers and where it's falling down and where you might have those broken links. Um, so, so I think lots of people think, oh, I need a customer experience program. I've got to have all of this insight. And I would say, well, you don't have to have all of it from day one, because, it, you know, even when I joined the company eight, eight years ago, we didn't have any kind of insight. But we did really, you know, officially we didn't. But I just said, you know, on, in my first week, you know, show me the complaints. What do people complain about? You know, uh, and what I actually found is that probably 80% of those complaints were about how if we got back to somebody when we said we would, it would never have turned into a complaint. So actually then my focus initially was, you know, well, let's improve, you know, how we communicate, how we keep people updated about, you know, if they've logged a fault, let's then tell them every couple of days, well, it might not be fixed, but this is what's happening. So there's all kinds of, of insight. And I think, you know, even if you don't have a platform or any kind of program, you've got complaints and you've got your staff and your staff, especially your frontline staff, they are the absolute number one source of what is going on in your company and with your customers. So we make sure in our program that we have, you know, a lot of employee feedback and and um, and that employees feel that, you know, they can say something and they can feed up ideas and they can feed back when something's gone, uh, gone not so well. And, um, you know, we're, we're quite a small business, so I know everybody personally and you know, I like to think I'm quite approachable. So people can come up to me and they do and tell me about the poor customer experience that their cousin has had. But, you know, it, it's really get great feedback because if you're not asking your staff, then there's lots of things that you won't know about. Um, and, and I've seen a pyramid on LinkedIn recently and it's quite interesting. It's kind of like an iceberg type thing. And the top of the iceberg is what the senior managers know. And the bottom of the iceberg is what the frontline staff know. And, the, the, you know, that is absolutely spot on true. Uh, there's, and there's like air gaps between there because people at the front yeah. line all want the senior managers to know what's going on. But the senior managers are like, I just need to know. Give me the raw data. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that noise barrier is, is really... Yeah. I've got a really good way of finding that out because I sit right by the contact center so I can hear everything that's going on. Obviously, I can only hear one side of the conversation, but, um, you know, and the other funny thing is Guernsey, in Guernsey is obviously it's quite, we've got about 62,000 people here and we've got uh, 180 people working for us at, at Shore in Guernsey. So what happens is somebody, a customer phones up and likely as not, they know the person they're speaking to, the, the agent, so they start to have a chat. <laughs> so, that, so that's quite funny. And that's, the other... It's the very of offshore call centre, right? It's, it's the absolute opposite, Adam. Hello, it's sure. really nice, yeah. Oh, how are you getting on? How's your mother? So that's brilliant. And actually got a really good story about that. So I hadn't long been in. I think I must have been here for about a year or something like that. And we had this big corporate contract that was with the customer ready to be signed, you know, six months in the making, big kind of pipeline, what's happening with this? 
kind of one of our biggest customers. Um, and, you know, they didn't sign and they didn't sign and they were chased up by the account manager and nothing came back at all. Um, and then finally, the, our CEO picked up the phone to this customer and said, you know, anything wrong? You know, what, what's happening? Why hasn't this contract been signed? Anyway, just classic response back for, from this, you know, big corporate guy. Just waiting for you to fix my mother's broadband and then you'll have the, the contract <laughs> over. <laughs> So, yes, I think an engineer got dispatched probably within the hour, I think, on that one. Yeah. How, how does that, um, you know, affect when, if, if, if I am calling up John from around the corner, uh, who's incredibly unhappy about something, that a lot of the time, in, in, especially in, in telco, I imagine as well, you must have a lot of complaints that aren't instantly solvable. So I guess how, how, do, how do we handle those, those instances when, when, John from around the corner, whose mother's broadband isn't working, and there's nothing you can do about it at the call centre. How, how's that then approached, and how how do you keep people you know excited about about wanting to pick up the phone to, to those? People? Yeah, well, well, pretty much we can do something about it, David, because it's uh, you know our, our responsibility. So you know, at, at the very least, if we were going to escalate something, we could probably have an engineer out. I mean, it, it takes uh, no more than twenty five minutes to drive anywhere in Guernsey. So if you wanted to, you could have an engineer out straight away. Uh, but, but I think on the kind of more complex ones, it's about keeping the customer updated, isn't it? And just, you know, I'm a great fan of transparency and being honest and saying, you know, that is a tricky problem. And this is what we're doing. It's gone to our engineers. Actually, we've had to get our, um, you know, switch provider or, or something in more customer language, probably. We've had to get somebody else to take a look at that. They're going to come back to us on it tomorrow. So I think, you know, in terms of good customer experience, it's being empathetic that it's a big problem for the customer. And this is what we're doing about it and just trying to keep people updated. You know, yeah, that, that's the thing. It. It's communication, yeah. isn't it? Look, we're doing our best. And I, I, that's how I think when people are, really human about it you know they're, they're, they recognize that there's another human at the other end of the line yeah I, I mean I said before you know we, we've obviously like every contact center you have ebbs and flows don't you peaks and troughs of uh, of times when you know you, you, you've got you've got enough staff to answer answer the phones and everything's fine and you're managing to your SLAs of course there's peaks of traffic where, where you just can't do that and we've had instances where, you know, we've had three or four people off sick and we just haven't been able to manage as well because even one person makes a difference. And I've said to the staff, you know, and you wouldn't do it all the time, but I've said, look, if somebody says to you, oh, so long to wait to get through, just say to them, I'm really sorry about that. We've got four people off sick today, so, so we're struggling a bit. And, you know, you can see the kind of conversation dissipates a bit in the anger because people just say, Oh, okay. Well, I didn't realise. I didn't realise you had people off sick. And, you know, obviously it's not their problem. My staffing problem isn't their problem. But I think you can be transparent and you can be honest about, you know, about your struggles and, and people are, are much more accepting of it. Yeah, great. Yeah, so I, I think as well, I just wanted to touch on a, a point you, you made earlier, uh, Charlotte, around, the, you know, the different kinds of feedback that you're getting. I think I remember when when you guys first came on board uh, and we started building out your survey, um, I think our, our initial advice was, right, lose 80% of those questions. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah. we, and, and really, really <laughs> shorten it up uh, and to make sure, because I think you, the point you made earlier was, you know, start small, keep it simple, and there's actually something yeah. you can build upon that did you notice a difference in you know your, your ability to identify problems more easily then and, and see, see the wood through the trees 
Um, I'm, I mean, certainly the shorter survey was the right way to go because I think previously we'd had a lot yeah. of people uh, abandoning and that's obviously no good because you, you do want people's feedback. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we, we do... I think the way we use your platform as well with the drivers of satisfaction and the drivers of dissatisfaction and asking customers just to pick from a drop down menu, that does give us a really good view. So, you know, we know there's three or four specific things that are drivers of, of dissatisfaction and probably more which are drivers of satisfaction around, you know, value for money or friendly customer service, etc. So I think being able to narrow that down is helpful with, with those drivers. But again, you know, we're of a scale where we can actually read every single piece of feedback. And I do it, I, I mean, I have to say, I don't do it every day now, but I do go on the Customer Gauge site, you know, regularly and have a look and say, oh, right, what are customers saying? What, what are the tens giving us a 10 for? Uh, and, and what are the detractors saying? And, you know, and, and passing that on. So I think, you know, we're lucky to be of that scale where we can do it in a way yeah. where maybe a bigger telco would, 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 you know, it's less personal and, and it's more difficult to do that because of the scale of feedback. Cool. I'm, I'm going to follow that up a little, um, Charlotte, by asking, you know, you're part of a bigger group um, with, uh, with other telcos and you have uh, your remit allows you to look across some of the, um, some of the issues they're facing. How do you compare and contrast that uh, the issues that they're having as opposed to the ones that you're having in Guernsey? Um, it's a bit different. I suppose so if I take the telco as an example, um, they are kind of fully fibred where we're still on a copper network. So they would have different issues in terms of broadband. Um, also, the makeup of their contact centre is quite different. So they largely use kind of temporary staff with a very high turnover. And we largely use permanent staff who tend to stay because, you know, I, you know we're a nice place to work and, it, and it's friendly, etc. So um, it, it's funny because some of the challenges are always the same, aren't they, about, you know, kind of speed of dealing with issues and, you know, speed of dealing with faults and things like that. But other, other, in other ways, you know, they, they have different kind of problems. Um, and they're different culturally as well, because uh, largely our, um, our sister companies are in the Middle East. Um, so it is quite a difference in culture for, from us being kind of largely British islands. Yeah. Interesting. And, and so you've been doing this, as I think as we said at the start of the, the chat, Charlotte, you've been doing this for many, many years. Um, what, what's the one thing you're most proud of in terms of what you've, what you've implemented in, in, in the organisation? I think how engaged the staff are. So if I come back to that, you know, I think customer experience, obviously I came in to do customer experience and straight away eight years ago, I was already on the board, the executive board. So there was a recognition that, you know, this needed to come from the top. And I always say that, you know, I, I'm proud to represent the customer uh, on the board. And now I represent the revenue as well. But I, I started off just representing the customer. Um, you know, and I've really tried to foster that environment where staff feel engaged, they feel that, you know, they can raise up um, issues around customer experience and that we'll listen um, and that we'll, um, that, that we'll deal with them. So I think, you know, I've got a fantastic team around me and I certainly couldn't do it without them. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of the staff engagement um, and how passionate everybody is about the customer experience. 
really great. I think that's always one of the, the major challenges that, that, that you know our, our customers always face is how do you get people excited about it every day? And I think yeah. well, that's a really great challenge yeah. to have. For uh, it's, and, you know, it, it's not really, it's not kind of fed from the structural, but, um, you know, that there's, there's a lot of discussion about where should customer experience sit. And largely, you see, it either sits in customer service, which means it's just seen as part of service and it's not really maybe joined up with the more commercial side of the business, or it sits in marketing. And then what you sometimes find with that is it's seen as kind of a shiny marketing thing, but actually the customer service people aren't engaged with it because they don't feel involved and they, you know, they feel that they own customer service, but, but maybe not the whole of the customer experience from becoming aware of a product to, you know, looking at pricing and going into a shop and buying it. I think, you know, customer service can sometimes be seen as kind of the end of that process. Um, Whereas, you know, if you have somebody in customer experience who sits across all of that and is driving action plans in lots of different areas, I think that does then lead to more engagement. Um, And I've always been, you know, I mean, I'm quite an empathetic person, otherwise I wouldn't be doing this job. But I do try and kind of sit in, you know, stand in other people's shoes and think, well, you know, what's their motivation and what do they need from me and how, and how can I help? Um, and I think, you know, by doing that and having the great team that I've got, and we all take a similar approach, it, it's really been great for the culture of the business. Really cool. Um, and what does the next couple of years look like, Charlotte? Where, what, what, what's next on the plan? Oh, there's plenty going on, David. So, um, you know, we, we, we've, I have to say, uh, you know, speaking on a B2B podcast, we, we have been very, very focused on consumer uh, because just to get, you know, to deal with those volumes and, and to look at our consumer customer experience, um, we, we've got a B2B program, which is really in its infancy. And, you know, the next couple of years is all about developing that. So we, we've got a new chief business officer um, on board just in the last kind of six weeks. He's really keen at looking at, you know, how we're doing account reviews, how we can use our insight better. So I think that that for us in, in terms of customer experience, um, it, it, it will be around B2B, I think, for the next couple of years. And then also consolidating what we're doing in consumer. So I did say that, you know, COVID had been quite a challenge for us in terms of, you know, moving um moving kind of workload to the to the contact center channel so it's also looking at that and and making some improvements over the next couple of years about you know streamlining the channels we use and really trying to get more efficient that was a great story charlotte thank you so much for giving us the insight on the program at shore i think from dave and i's point of view we really think of you as a world-class uh operator in in this we, we've really able to compare the way that you run the program and as you say your empathy and bringing the communications to your staff i think uh, not only are the staff very lucky to have you and your team running the program but also the customers and i think this is uh you know if any of your customers also are listening to this they'll, they'll get a sense of how they get cared for behind the scenes which is is not always brought to the fore they you know as you say it's all about complaints so I really appreciate how you shared that with us today. Thank you so much for that. And we love hearing from you. And we hope you'll come back and tell us how the B2B uh, program goes in the future. Absolutely, Adam. It's been a pleasure. So thank you very much. Thanks so much. And we'll catch up with you soon, Charlotte. Okay. Thanks, Adam. (laughs) 
So I think that was pretty fantastic, Adam. Um, I definitely know more now than, than I did before about the telco industry. Yeah, I, it's interesting to hear, you know, who's got copper and fiber? I didn't think that would make a big impact on it. You can see how, you know, Charlotte said that she she wasn't particularly affected by COVID being on the island, but it had allowed her to do that transformation and to do some of the stuff that was they'd been putting off and then put in. It was really good. Yeah, exactly. And also how they're able to keep people motivated, even when you just wake up in the morning and, and all, you're, all you're seeing on your on your computer screen is complaint after complaint, um, you know, removing the fear and, and, and making sure people still do call them up and send 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 the engineer around to fix John's mum's uh, uh, broadband. Yeah, that's a, that was a wonderful story. I can really see that happening. Okay, so uh, great to hear that. Dave, I hope you have a great rest of the week. We'll catch up for the next Account Experience podcast.